When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Get Booked is sponsored in part by Book Riot Insiders, which, if you haven't already tried it out, your time is now. Book Riot Insiders is our resource specially designed for our fellow book nerds, a.k.a. you, and you can try it free for two weeks. There are different levels available, so you can decide which perks you want, whether it's a monthly behind-the-scenes newsletter or our exclusive podcasts and giveaways. And speaking of perks, we've got a new release index curated by resident reader Liberty Hardy from all the books, so you can see the most exciting new books coming in the next few months. Check it out and sign up for your 14-day free trial at insiders at bookriot.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 194, and we are recording on August 21st. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. And I am returned from Maine. She returneth. <laughs> I, do, I do returneth. <laughs> Vanessa filled in for you last week and did a great job. Oh, uh, Vanessa. Big hearts, big hearts. <laughs> yes. If you are tuning in for the first time, welcome. This is, as I said at the top, a show for reading recommendations, which means that you send us in your questions about what you should read next based on your favorite book, what your book club should read next, what you should get for a friend or a relative or any and all of those things. And we will do our best to find you your great next read. If you would like to send in those questions, you can send them in either via the form on the Book Riot site in the show notes for every episode, or you can send it to getbooked at bookriot.com via email. And if your request is time sensitive, like you're traveling somewhere and want a book before then, please note time sensitive and the date you are hoping to get a response response by either in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form. We will do our best. And if we don't think we're going to get to it on air, we might email you a response. So keep an eye out for those. And now, Amanda, it is your turn. Take it away. I'm going to do some talking with my mouth. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to read our first question. Excuse me. And then tell you about our first sponsor and away we'll go. So our first question is from Angela who says, I'm getting married in the fall and I'm looking for books that portray marriage in a positive light. So many books use marriage as the plot twist, i.e. murder, infidelity, etc. I want to read about good marriages and what will bring positive feelings in my marriage, not the negative portrayal usually used. I like historical fiction, magical realism mary roach type nonfiction, fantasy and romance okay well our sponsor's about a serial killer so that's a little weird i have it coming up with that question <laughs> happy marriages death um so our first sponsor is 13 by steve cavanaugh which is coming out from flat iron books and this is a breakout thriller uh it's about a celebrity couple one of like hollywood's you know really fancy famous power couples um and when the book opens one of them is dead the wife of course and the the husband the star robert solomon has been charged with the murder of his wife um and he is on trial 
Uh, everyone believes he's guilty. Like, all the evidence points to his being guilty. Um, and the defense wants lawyer Eddie Flynn, who's, like, the main character in this series of mysteries and thrillers that Kavanaugh writes. Um, and he's starting to get this feeling that, like, despite all the evidence, the killer is not the dude on trial. The killer is maybe one of the people on the jury. Twisty, <gasps> twisty, twist, right? It's very twist. It's very twisty, gaspity. Twisted Gaspity. I just made that. Um, so thank you for sponsoring the show. Go check that out if you're in a thriller mystery kind of mood. That's 13 by Steve Cavanaugh. Okay. So happy books about marriage. I went with a romance for this. I'm just keep talking. I went for a romance for this. It's called An Affair Before Christmas. It's by Eloisa James. And it's the second book in her Desperate Duchesses series. But as we always say, you don't have to have read the first one. The romance series can be very often read outside of order. Um, and so this book opens with a marriage that is not happy, I will say. Um, but it's a romance novel, so you can imagine how it ends up. It's happy. The marriage ends up happy. Um, and so it's about a woman named Lady Perdita Selby. And she goes by Poppy. And she is four years into her marriage to the Duke of Fletcher. And they married for love. Like, they met at a party, instantly fell for each other was supposed to be this kind of fairy tale whirlwind romance but for a lot of reasons that you get into in the book everything in their relationship has kind of fallen apart so when you meet them they pretty much like cannot stand this side of each other they're trying to keep it together for appearances sake but it's not working um and they're both kind of doing that thing where like they're getting petty and trying to like hurt each other because they've just spiraled into this terrible pattern um a behavior pattern and then the duke um decides that he like this cannot go on like he wants her back their relationship when they got married was so great and they were so in love and he cannot figure out what happened and neither can she um so he goes on this like quest to win her back but in doing so he like kind of lets her go like she moves out um and decides that she's going to like go live her own life uh and all this this like kind of thing but she he he does not want that so he develops this like campaign to like win back his bride uh and then that's the book this like failed relationship that's portrayed as failed not because like these are horrible people but for very human understandable reasons and then you watch them fall back in love with each other and end up together very happily and already married so it's like a good marriage that goes bad that gets better so it's certainly not about how like marriage itself is bad or and there's no uh, it's not being used as a, a twist to tell any other kind of story. This is just the story about how this marriage gets really good after they've had a lot of struggles. Um, and it's like, you know, bonus, super steamy. So that's An Affair Before Christmas by Eloisa James. <laughs> that is indeed a bonus. I picked a fantasy for you because you said you liked them. Hooray. And this fantasy, when I read it, I kind of loved the way the marriage was portrayed in it. It's The Deepest Blue by Sarah Beth Durst. And it is a companion novel in her Queens of Renthea universe, but it does stand alone. So if you haven't read the other ones, which I do recommend, they are really fun, elemental magic books, but you don't have to have read them to pick this up. And actually, I think this is a great introduction to the world as well. So this is about a woman named Mayara and the the book actually opens on her the morning of her wedding. And she's been with uh, Kilo, 
her soon-to-be husband for a long time, and she's so happy, and he, like, really gets her, and she spends the morning, because she's a diver, and she lives in this magical world where there are all of these elemental creatures, and since she lives on an island, the ocean is the element she is most concerned with, Um, and she does this very dangerous dive, because it's the thing that she loves, and it's the thing she wants to do on the morning of her wedding, and she gets all scraped up and goes back, and he's like, welcome, let me patch your wounds, and then we will go get married, like, they're really cute. Uh, and then a terrible, terrible storm, including elemental creatures like hellbent on destroying the inhabitants of the island, rolls through. And Mayara, she has been hiding an ability to deal with the creatures because if she does, if, if the government finds out, she will have to go to this like Hunger Games island to compete to become an heir to the queen. But like usually only one is left standing. So she doesn't want to do that for obvious reasons. She just wants to live on her island and go diving and marry her beloved. But she gets found out because she has to save everybody. And one thing leads to another and off she goes. And the whole book is about her and Kilo trying to be reunited and the different ways that they take to try to make it happen. And... I just love how strong their bond is, even though they don't spend a ton of the book together. But the way they think about each other and the way they think about their relationship and the way that they move forward in the context of that relationship is just really lovely. And you don't see, I don't ever remember reading a fantasy novel that has that kind of framework of a relationship around it. I just can't think of a a solid comp. Uh, and it's so refreshing. It's just so refreshing. And then, of course, there's lots of action and adventure, and it's really, really fun. And I think you'll really enjoy it. But but yeah, beautifully framed by this lovely new marriage that's based on a relationship that has a lot of love and trust. So again, that's The Deepest Blue by Sarah Beth Durst. Okay, our next question is from Sasha, who says, I have been reading Things You Save in a Fire by Catherine Center and realized that I need more stories in my life about women working in high testosterone settings. I work in a job that involves carpentry, electrical work, and lots of physical labor. In some ways, I was originally drawn to the job because of the boys club atmosphere. I love confounding expectations. I love the challenge of proving myself, but some days that challenge is more daunting than others. Could you point me in the direction of some other books that capture this? I love this question Mm -hmm. so much. Amanda, what did you pick? I went with Cork Dork by Bianca Bosker, which is a like part memoir, part dive into the world of sommeliers and their weird obsessiveness. It's like it is so fascinating. And I went down this huge rabbit hole of documentaries and uh, YouTube videos about sommeliers after I read this book. So um, sommeliers, of course, are those like very fancy people at restaurants who serve you wine which seems like it would be a pretty straightforward kind of job, but it is not. Most of them are like super tasters. They study for years to become sommeliers. They do weird things like, you know, lick rocks and don't brush their teeth so they like don't (laughs) mess up their palate. It is bonkers. Um, And it's also, of course, like super expensive and very um, traditional and snooty. And over 80% of sommeliers are men, despite the fact that most people who work in the service industry are women. Um, So as with any other, as with pretty much every other industry, low-level 
um, poorly, more poorly paying positions are occupied by women and the higher level, more prestigious positions are occupied by men. And that is the case here. So it's very bro clubby. And Bianca decides that she's going to leave her job as a tech reporter randomly in order to research this world and write this book. And she wants to get to a place where in a year she can pass a certified sommelier exam, which is like really, really difficult. You have to memorize all of this like, who are the producers in this one valley of France and what kind of grapes do they use and, like, how many rocks did they lick? You know, this kind of stuff that you have to memorize. Thousands <laughs> of flashcards. All of these flavor profiles. And it's a really fascinating book because she goes into, like, the science behind how we smell and the history of, like, Burgundy and why Thomas Jefferson liked Madeira and, like, why the most expensive bottle in the world sold for what it did, which was, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, and all the while, she's surrounded by these people who were, like, ushering her through this world, allowing her to, like, stage them on the restaurant, stage, uh, follow them on the restaurant floor to see the kind of things that they are going through in their daily jobs. She does follow one. Uh, she was one female sommelier who, of course, has the added, like, bonus of getting constantly hit on by her male customers and also constantly um, belittled by her wealthy female customers. Uh, so she's got, like, all sorts of things that she has to navigate. Um, and the ways in which restaurants allow really poorly and badly behaving male customers to treat their female staff because they spend a lot of money on wine. It's just so interesting. And I didn't, like, I had no idea that wine was such a boys club once you get to these upper echelons of um, skill and, um, like, certifications because with those certifications usually come big pay bumps and a lot of prestige and they're just not giving those to women. There are some female master sommeliers, but there are very few. Um, And her navigation through this world of like complete and utter snobbery is so fascinating i love wine like i'm very nerdy about wine and i've just in the past few years kind of gotten into it but i learned so much from this book and it uh rabbit holes like there's a there's a doc if you read this book and you like it i would go watch the documentary psalm which is about three broy broy brosifs who are taking the somalia (laughs) exam and like the things that they have to go through marriages destroyed it is just bananas so that's cork dork by bianca bosker what a rabbit hole (laughs) (laughs) amazing um so i immediately thought of a book that i has it has been on my tbr for a while so thank you for giving me the nudge to read it it's shoot like a girl by mary jennings hager and i didn't realize this until i was basically done with the book but i had actually seen her viral ad for the texas senate race uh last year and not had not like put those two things together but if you haven't seen it it will make you cry just fyi um and i will leave a link to it in the show notes but she decided to train as a pilot uh was commissioned into the u.s air force and then went into the national guard and served three tours in Afghanistan flying combat search and rescue missions. And so, like, you cannot get a more boys clubby boys club mm-hmm. than the military. Like, you just can't. And she, you know, basically was on the front lines in Afghanistan. There was an instance in which her helicopter was shot down and she earned a Purple Heart as well as the Distinguished, distinguished Flying Cross with Valor. Uh, so she's, like, an awarded military personnel and she is really frank about what it was like to come up through the air force training and then transition to the national guard and i will give you trigger warnings for sexual assault and you know 
misogyny of the kind that you might expect. Um, it's very upsetting. And she does go through trauma. And she also talks about her PTSD. And it's a fascinating read. She tells a good story. She is so... Like she's like a she's like a real world Captain Marvel. Like she just wants she's like an adrenaline junkie. She wants to go faster. She's dreamed of this her whole life. Um, she had a rough abusive childhood, and so like all of this means a lot to her. And she's so like she has these great like bar stories, and then these harrowing you know active service stories, and then you know for a little while she, for, because of the National Guard, she was running pot eradication missions missions in California, and has like a hilarious story about what happens when like a pot patch catches on fire and you're flying over it in a helicopter like it's really fascinating um and i have very complicated feelings about the military and this and so does she and so it was really refreshing to read her like very loving but also very frank and critical take on it and the thing that's most interesting about this is she has a very good career and right around when she's deciding to get out one of the reasons she doesn't stay is because of the ground combat exclusion policy which kept female armed service members from serving in quote-unquote combat roles even though like she saw combat but that role was not technically a combat role and it really limited the positions that women in the military could apply to or receive and also comes with all of this like weird shenanigans to get women in places where they need to be without giving them combat roles. So she was part of a lawsuit uh, through the ACLU against the U.S. government about this. And so she has she's just an amazing story uh, and is a really interesting person. And yeah, really does feel like as close as I'm ever going to get to a real life Captain Marvel. Mm. So again, that's Shoot Like a Girl by Mary Jennings Hager. Okay, question three is anonymous, and it says, I have a bit of an itch I need scratched, and I'm having a hard time finding books with a specific description in mind. Earlier this year, I was very depressed, and although I love really dark fiction, I couldn't bring myself to read it. I'm doing better now and want to plunge back in. I'm specifically wanting to read a fantasy slash horror slash thriller that's really strange and doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but you're just going with it. Something unsettling and stress-inducing possibly with a magical or supernatural element to it. I want to be so scared and confused and horrified that I feel like I'm going to throw up. <laughs> the only examples I can think of that have given me similar feelings have been Saw Kill Girls, Baby Teeth, We Have Always Lived in the Castle, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and The Call, notably for its weirdness, Mouthful of Birds. Uh, please no short story collections or anything too experimental. Um, please also no pregnancy horror, miscarriage, or child death. Okay, so... I picked Hex by Thomas Old Huivelt, which is translated by Nancy Forrest Fire. And this will make you kind of feel like maybe you're going to throw up. It's very scary, and I will give it a trigger warning for um, violence of just all of it. Like, just all the violence that you can possibly imagine. So it takes place in the Hudson Valley in a little town called Black Spring, which is haunted by a woman they call the Black Rock Witch, who is a woman uh, from the 17th century who was killed um, and is, like continues to haunt these people. Her eyes and mouth are sewn shut, and she appears at the most random of places. Like, you'll be eating dinner, and she just appears beside your dinner table. And the people who live here are so used to her that they just, like, toss a napkin over her head and can carry on because like she they can't make her leave um and she's gonna leave when she wants to but she doesn't bother anyone she just i mean her appearance is bothersome but she doesn't speak because her mouth is sewn 
Um, she doesn't touch anybody or anything. She just stands there creepily. Uh, and she'll show up in completely bizarre places, like in the middle of a town hall, or she'll stand outside of a grocery store for no reason. Um, and the other terrible part of living in this city is that if you're born there, you have to stay there. And if you move there, you can never leave. And if you try to leave, once you get beyond the city limits, you're overcome with, with like these unavoidable suicidal tendencies, like kind of a bird box sort of thing. Um, so everyone is stuck there. They can't go anywhere. And they're trapped with this like weird witch woman. Um, and then they've like got this kind of stasis uh, with this. The city council has a security system, a really high tech security system that keeps people from leaving and keeps people from coming in too long um, so that nobody has to like experience this curse. But the teenagers who live in this city are like done. And because it's never been a problem before until this generation, because now they have the internet and they can see everything they're missing outside in, in the world with that knowledge that they're never going to be able to leave. So they decide what they're going to do is videotape like a, like Instagram live, basically this witch um, and put it out there. So it goes viral. So someone out there in the world can help them with no knowledge of whether or not like putting her out there violates whatever weird curses on this town. And when, when, when all the, the adults find out what they're doing, like all hell literally like breaks, breaks loose in this town. Um, it's, so unsubtle like everything about it is weird just the image of these families sitting in their living rooms eating dinner with this like crazy ghost witch standing next to them is like oh I, I had so many nights with the lights on and the sleeping <laughs> just the creepiest 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 thing um it's not an uplifting book it's very much about like based on this kind of theory that if given their druthers humanity would just devolve into like just a wild pack of animals with no discernible moral compass it's not uplifting at all but if you want to read something that's like well i can't see that then this is definitely what you should pick up. <laughs> so that's uh hex by thomas old Quivelt. oh lord yes. okay um I, every time you talk about it i get squicked out yeah. i've never i'm never reading that book my my like creep horror tolerance is very low but i so i went to sharifa to double check my peck for pick for this and she co-signed it and I actually only got halfway through it because I was out in the woods and couldn't keep Ooh. reading it a certain <laughs> way, even though it doesn't take place in the woods but I picked White is for Witching by Helen Oyeyemi because Helen Oyeyemi is exactly that kind of thing where you're talking about like unsettling stress inducing mm. supernatural you're confused you feel like you're gonna throw up like it doesn't make sense but you're just going with it like that is what I feel like Helen Oyemi does really well to varying horror degrees. And White is for Witching is really, really creepy. Uh, it gets trigger warnings for disordered eating and self-harm. I'm going to talk a little bit about the disordered eating in the synopsis. So if you don't want to listen to that, skip ahead. But it's about a family who live in this big old house, of course, on the on the cliffs um, near Dover in England. And the mother has died. She was like a roving explorer type person. And she has died. And the family is really not recovering well. She has two older teenage twins and her husband. Uh, and they are all sort of mourning and move in their own ways and like not really moving on. And Miranda has pica, which is an eating disorder where you eat things like chocolate or plastic or whatever and she really doesn't want to eat anything else so she's getting progressively more unhealthy and uh and then the narratives of this book sort of switch around between 
like Luke and Miri slash Miranda and Elliot, her brother, her twin brother, and the house. And you're just, and it takes a minute. You're like, what? Like, it's not nearly as confusing as House of Leaves. So I don't think you'll have any trouble with it. But you are very like, what is going on right now? Who is talking to me about this? And at a certain point, Miranda disappears. And so everybody's just trying to piece together what is going with this house, what is going on with this family, like the help that, because it's in, it's like a bed and breakfast, the help that used to work there has left because things have gotten so unbearably creepy like things are just unraveling and you're trying to figure out like what is happening just just all of the what is happening and it's so atmospheric and dark and weird like i said like i couldn't i had to stop reading it on vacation because the woods were not the right place to be reading about this uh and so one day i'll finish it but it's she's so good she's just so good at words and at characters and it's really weird and i think you'll like it so again that's white is for witching by helen oyeyemi all right our next question is a two well sort of a two-parter uh um amber is having a built-in book club uh with her daughter where they let's see i'll just read it uh in order to bring a bit of the world to us i've started choosing both my books and her children's books by authors from a specific country or that take place in that country for example we're focusing on nigeria right now i'm reading akata witch by Nnedi okorafor and looking for trans wonderland travels in nigeria by new sarah wiwa while my daughter and i have read chicken in the kitchen by Nnedi okorafor and why the sky is far away by mary joan gerson could you recommend a book for me any genre to couple with a children's book for her to help us learn about a new culture a new country the world is your oyster amanda what did you pick okay so i picked mexico and so for the children's book i picked frida Kahlo and her animalitos which is by monica brown and it's illustrated by john para it is adorable like (laughs) adorable um frida Kahlo, of course is a very famous um, mexican artist um and she she had a super fascinating and difficult life which is not really touched on in this book because it's you know kind of like a lot for for a picture book um so what this one is about is about her art and about all of her pets and i did not realize this but frida Kahlo owned some bananas animals like she had an eagle she had a couple of monkeys (laughs) several dogs turkeys that she kept as pets not for nomming for petting like turkeys um and so this book goes through, it's a little bit bio, but like biographical, starts when she's young and moves forward to her adulthood and like just kind of covers all of her pets and what they were like um, and why she loved them and the ways that she kind of embodies some of their interesting characteristics, like with the monkeys um, who were like apparently forever stealing her food, like stealing the fruit that she was trying to eat. Um, it talks about how she was also like very playful and mischievous as a child and those sorts of things. It's really beautifully drawn and like very visually, I think, interesting. Young kids, um, little kids, because in the question she says her daughter's two and a half, little kids really like that um, visually um, oh, con- contrast. They like color contrast. And there's a lot of that in this picture book. So I think a little kid would find it really fascinating. Um, and then for the adult side of it, I picked something a little dar- a little darker. It's Signs Preceding the End of the World by Yuri Herrera. And it's translated by Lisa Dillman. I tapped out on the number of times I could recommend this book when we first started this podcast. Like the first <laughs> you year. did. Um, but it's a new year. <laughs> new year, new me. Um, so I'm going to talk about it again. It's super short. It's from And Other Stories, which is an amazing small press. The book's only like 115 pages. So it's probably actually a novella. Um, but Yuri Herrera is 
a freaking freaking genius. It's about a woman named Makina who is from Mexico and she has to cross the border illegally into the US because she's looking for her brother. Her brother is has been in the US for a while working and that kind of thing, but it's been like weeks or maybe months, if I remember correctly, since her family has heard from him. So of course, they're all very worried. Um, And so she goes into the US with a message for him from their mother, obviously, and also a message for him from like a member of the Mexican underworld, which is a little more dangerous. And then while she's going through the crossing, she's being smuggled across the border by various gangs and criminals. Uh, And then she gets to America and experiences kind of more of the same, but from Americans. Um, So it's very much a book about transitions and there's a lot of interesting things happening here with language um, and the the amount of English that the main character does or doesn't speak or doesn't doesn't understand, which from a translation perspective would have probably made this book like nearly impossible, but it's super readable. Like you don't, I never noticed any hiccups in the translation at all. It just read like, I I guess just perfect. It's a perfect translation of what must've been a very difficult uh, project. So that's Science Proceeding the End of the World by Yuri Herrera. Oh, and uh, Frida Kahlo and Her Animalitos by Monica Brown. I'm cheating a little bit <laughs> <laughs> because I couldn't match up exactly ones that I had read and I wanted to give you a very personal recommendation. And so I'm doing a religion instead of a country because why not? Mm. So I picked Under My Hijab by Hena Khan, illustrated by Alia Jalil as the picture book. It is so cute, y'all. It's so, so cute. Um, It's about a little girl who I don't, I think it's like pretty well understood, although not specifically said that she lives in America, but it's about a little Muslim girl who is watching all of these different women in her life who each wear their hijab or head covering in a different way. And so she is thinking about like, how will she wear hers? And it's just the pictures are so sweet. And the story is so sweet. And it's just so cool to see this like nuanced look at something that a lot of Americans don't understand Mm. and has been sort of vilified by Western feminism in various ways, like just really gently and with nuance explained. I just, I just love it. It's so cool. So uh, again, that's Under My Hijab by Hena Khan and Alia Jalil. And I think that like you could have a really interesting conversation about like, you know, does anybody like at preschool, mm-hmm. like do you see anybody of the parents or like have you encountered anybody in your town? Or there's all kinds of conversations you can have about that as well as looking at pictures online of women in, uh, in other countries who wear a hijab. Very simple to Google. So so lots of opportunities there. Um, and uh, so so that's my child pick. And then my adult pick for you is a sort of, it's an interesting book. It's a little bit history, a little bit narrative journalism, and a little bit memoir. It's The Faithful Scribe, A Story of Islam, Pakistan, Family, and War by Shehan Mufti. And he is a journalist whose family is from Pakistan and which he can trace back like very far. And he, uh, his, his family is traditionally have served as judges and jurists in the Muslim Sharia courts of South Asia. And so he has a lot of sort of personal history bound up with Muslim law. And then also family history bound up with the creation and then, you know, the political realities of Pakistan. And like the book opens with, I think it's a wedding, if I recall correctly. It's been a minute since I read it, but like you kind of see the family all getting back together. And so there are these like lovely personal story moments in it that he then uses as a route for 
exploring the much broader world of Muslim law and Pakistan itself. So I think that that would make like a really interesting compliment for both of you um, to think about like, what of these things do we see here? What do you not know about? And then obviously Pakistan in particular has a very fascinating and important history. It's very politically relevant to our lives. So there's a lot of good stuff here. And the book is so readable. It's like beautifully written. I think, you know, narrative journalists doing history slash memoir is one of my favorite things. And Mufti does it really well. So again, that's The Faithful Scribe, a story of Islam, Pakistan, family and war. And it is my turn to do our second sponsor, which is Blinkist, y'all. Do you? I know you do. Have an over, <laughs> I know you all have an overflowing TBR because I do. And you have told us many a time that you do. Um, so if you cannot find the time to read all the books on your list because you can't, Blinkist is an app that compiles the key takeaways from thousands of nonfiction books. So what they do is they condense down into about 15 minutes reading or listening all of the key ideas from non-fiction works, including health and self-help and history and business. And it works on your phone or tablet or web browser. The app is pretty slick, I have to say. Uh, and I was poking around at it and I found, to, I think the, it's, it's so interesting to me the way that I personally use this, because I'm not sure it's how other people use it. But for me, especially for nonfiction, which I just don't get to as often as fiction, there are some that I'm like, I think I'm going to like this, but I wish I could preview it a little bit before I like dedicate myself to the time it's going to take mm -hmm. to read it. And Blinkist is awesome for that, as well as like just giving you the ideas. So I read um, Common, uh, the musician has a memoir called Let Love Have the Last Word. And I like read that through Blinkist and it was so interesting and I felt like I got a sense of his voice even though this had been distilled down. And then also there's a recent business book called No Hard Feelings by Liz Foslian and Molly Westuffy, which is all about emotions in the workplace, right? Super interesting. And that one too, I got a sense for it. And like, I feel like I'm going to have to pick up No Hard Feelings to like really dig into it more because I was left wanting the full experience. But with Common's memoir, I was like, I feel you, like I got you. And I probably don't need to read the whole thing. Um, no offense, Common. I really <laughs> and so, so for he's me, doing okay. he's, he's doing fine. He's doing fine. Um, so for me, it's a chance to like sort of preview some books and get the big ideas and be like, okay, I've got that or like, Ugh, I'm going to need to read more of that. And so it's really useful in that sense. And I think also, you could totally just like feel like you had read the book, having read these 15 minute synopses and key ideas summaries. So that again is Blinkist and you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction. It's all the book you want and all for one low price. And right now Blinkist has a special offer for get book listeners. Go to Blinkist.com slash booked B-O-O-K-E-D to start your free seven day trial. That's Blinkist.com slash booked B-O-O-K-E-D. And thank you for sponsoring the show. All right. Question five is from Melanie, who says, I'm looking for some recs for my sister who enjoys science fiction and fantasy with a dash of humor. She's also an interior graphic designer. So she tried Horror Store by Grady Hendrix. Um, she said that she really enjoyed the unique format and world building, but that it also totally freaked her out. I'm thinking of trying Night Film by Marisha Pessel next. Is that too much, do you think? Some of her favorites include Mog World by Yahtzee Croshaw, The Martian by Andy Weir, American Gods by Neil Gaiman, Seconds by Brian Lee O'Malley, and The Finder series by Carla Speed McNeil. Okay, um, the Night Film is not funny. There's nothing funny 
at all <laughs> about the night no. um and if she i don't know if she was if she found horror store a little bit too much on the spooky side i definitely think that the night film will be too much because it has probably about like the same amount of creep factor but without any of the funny to like balance it out so i don't know i i wouldn't necessarily go with the night film i went in a completely opposite direction with this yeah. question <laughs> i picked the parasol protectorate series by gail carriger the first book in the series is called soulless and this is uh, this is a fantasy um oh what's the word steampunk kind of mashup that takes place in victorian england uh with like werewolves and vampires and romance and it's hilarious so the main character's name is alexia she lives in, as I said, Victorian England, um, and she's kind of a social outcast a bit. Her father was Italian, gasp. So she's like, <laughs> she's dark and uses her hands when she talks and like, oh goodness, whatever shall we do with her? Um, she also has no soul, which in this world is like kind of fine because there's, you know, again, vampires and werewolves, so everybody is used to the supernatural, but someone being soulless is like is strange so even in this strange kind of world she is a standout um and the thing that this gives her is that she can use her like soullessness to disable the powers of the other supernatural beings in her midst so like she's soulless if she touches a vampire who has just been hurt in some way their healing ability won't work that kind of thing um and so when the book opens she is hiding from people who she doesn't like at a big party in in a in like a library um, because they didn't serve any food at this party and she's like starving and wants to eat. So she's stolen some food, I think, from the kitchen and is like hiding in the library to eat some cake, which hashtag relatable content. Yeah. tell you. <laughs> um, and she gets attacked by a rogue vampire, which in this world is very unusual because everything is very like ordered. Um, vampires and werewolves have like laws that dictate their behavior and this kind of thing. So she gets attacked and she kills him. And Queen Victoria sends Lord Macan to come investigate like why this vampire came out of nowhere to hurt this woman. Lord Macan is this very loud, obnoxious werewolf who heads up Queen Victoria's paranormal investigative unit and is also the alpha of this big Scottish clan. Um, they hate each other immediately and then fall in love also kind of immediately like it goes from hate to not hate pretty super fast um and then there are several i think maybe six i don't know maybe more i think books in the series that are the two of them like going on supernatural hijinks and like solving mysteries um the some of the side characters are amazing like the queen of the vamp of the london vampire nest is just the most like she's such goals like she's so aloof and cold <laughs> and like i'm loving this journey for her kind of thing um and Alexia, like, continues to be, she's very, um, what's the word, like, uh, no nonsense, despite the fact that she's surrounded by, like, plenty of nonsense. Her husband is this emotional basket case 100% of the time, and she's just like, you know, dear, please put your fangs away. Like, it's just, everything about it is delightful. It's hilarious. Uh, nothing scary, so I think she'll be fine. So that's Solace by Gail Carriger. I picked a book that I feel like is very reminiscent of American gods in certain ways, but it's uh, more Caribbean inspired, which is awesome. It's Unraveling by Karen Lord. It came out earlier this year. I loved it so much. I read a bunch of Karen Lord's stuff. She's fantastic. And this is a sort of a murder mystery, but there are meddling gods and it's not too graphic. Like bad things happen to people and children, but they're not you don't see the graphic violence. It's a little bit more like 
you kind of are reviewing it in a dreamlike way. So it's not it's not it's not going to like freak anybody out, I don't think. I mean, it's weird and it's not happy, but it's mm-hmm. not like you're not just like, oh, I'm torn apart by this grisly awfulness. Um, so the main character, Miranda. Oh, I have like a Miranda theme by accident today. <laughs> uh, the main character, Miranda, is a forensic therapist in this city, capital C, uh, who has just finished up a trial to put a serial killer who killed seven different people uh, behind bars. But as she's leaving the trial, she has this sort of near-death experience that opens her up to these two gods, Chance and Trickster, who are like, yeah that's not done yet actually like there is maybe some supernatural influence going on here and we need you to help us figure out what it is because we can only do so much because of the rules of how god things work and so she has to decide like is she willing to revisit this very painful and difficult case and like work with these strange beings who have like invaded her brain (laughs) she's just like what so um and and it, it, it does that personal cost to her, but she decides to help. And as the book unfolds, you see like the history of Chance and Trickster and you also get deeper into this murder. And then you get this sort of overview of the political situation in the city itself, which is really fascinating. And Karen Lord is doing so many things in this book. And I just loved all of it. I found the ending incredibly satisfying. And it does feel like you could just get immersed in it. And it's just close enough to our world to feel real, but it's clearly not our world. And she's playing with things in a really interesting way and i just ugh, i loved it uh so again that's unraveling by karen lord and our next question is from Sarah, who says, I'm looking for some recommendations for my husband. He only reads nonfiction. He's an attorney and former history teacher, so he enjoys both political and historical biographies. Some of his other interests include sports and stand-up comedy. He's also expressed interest in reading stories about Mexico or Mexican immigrants. I realize these subjects are kind of all over the board, but I'm hoping you guys can pull something amazing out of your brains. That is an interesting combination <laughs> of things. Amanda, what did you pick? Okay, um, I picked Pitbull uh, by Bronwyn Dickey. The subtitle is The Battle Over an American Icon. And I picked this because I think, I mean, it sounds maybe a little bit out of left field for this question, but I think it hits all of these points. So it ha- it's both political and historical and also is about a sport, albeit a reprehensible one, um, dogfighting. So, of course, there's a trigger warning here for animal abuse. This book is full of that kind of thing. Um, so this really is a history of the pit bull. Um, and I'm a little biased. I've got a pit bull. I think they're great. Uh, and the big question that Bronwyn Dickey went into this with, and she's an investigative journalist, so she went into this book with this, like, how did we become so scared of this breed? Like, why do people, like, they're illegal in some cities. They're illegal in some parts of Canada. Why do people get so freaked out when, you know, when you talk about pit bulls, it brings out... Um, a lot of opinions in people and like how did that happen so she goes all the way back to to england and to like 18th century england and previous to the beginning of the breed um, when they were bred to guard like actual bulls and and uh, livestock and things like that and then how they came to the u.s how the breed developed from there and then um the 19th century dog fighting pits in new york city are really where the pit bull got its like kind of aggressive reputation um but more interestingly she goes into like the legal battles around the breed in the 20th century and how the media took 
um, like cherry picked several, not several, cherry picked a few stories of violence from pit bulls and made it into this like big horror story about what kind of dog they are. Um, and then she also talks about the present situation with pit bulls and how in urban neighborhoods, pit bulls are like often used as status symbols and sometimes brutalized and how the media's attention to that part of the breed's history is is like hyper racialized and the ways that we think about the dog as a country are often the ways that we think about African-American communities and how those things are kind of inseparable. So it tangles up all of this like really fascinating history, legal history, um, and this sport that like no one will admit to liking, but obviously some people liking because it just won't die. Like dog fighting is still here um, and we can't seem to get rid of it, even though it's awful. And like, if you talk to any human being with their mouths, they will say that it's awful, except somebody's paying for it. Like, somebody likes it because it, you know, continues to be a thing that we as a society have to try to fight. Um, so, yeah. So that's Pitbull by Bronwyn Dickey. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I picked the... my. I Side note, my parents have a pit mix, and she is the best dog <laughs> in the world. <laughs> They're so dumb and great. <laughs> so great. Um, okay, okay. My actual pick... The River of Doubt by Candace Millard, which I read for a different question a little bit earlier this year, and I just thought it was so well done. And it definitely seems like the kind of thing your husband would be interested in, hopefully hasn't already read it. And it's sort of, it's not a political biography per se, but it's about Theodore Roosevelt's journey into the Amazon. And it happened after his like election defeat in 1912. He decided that he was going to go on this expedition to map an unmapped river in the Amazon and was not well prepared for this at all. Uh, he had this whole expedition put together and they get to Brazil and they like don't have boats and everything's a disaster, but they go anyway. And the book follows the expedition, including uh, the um, Brazil's most famous explorer, who I had never heard of and I'm now fascinated with, mm-hmm. uh, Candido Mariano da Silva Rondon, who is like very famous for a lot of things, including trying to protect the indigenous inhabitants of the Amazon. Uh, and this is just a fascinating story. And it's told so well. It moves along at a brisk clip. But there's lots of great historical information and political information and I had not heard of any of this before. It's just fascinating. I love an explorer story. I especially love one that takes into account the complexities of colonialism, which this one mm. absolutely does. And I think your husband as a history teacher and like somebody who's interested in history and also the legalities around indigenous cultures. Like I think there's a lot of meat here that he will find interesting uh, to sink his teeth into. So again, that's The River of Doubt by Candace Millard. All right. Our last question is from Sandy, who says, for a while now, I've been trying to find a good book to give to my mother-in-law. I'm a woman of color and my partner's family is white. My mother-in-law is very open and willing to listen to my experiences as a woman of color. But I often find that most, if not all of the stories that she finds most powerful are told from white men and women. While I'm sure the stories she loves are powerful and well told, I wanted to find a book that offers the perspective of a person of color and their experiences. Some of her favorite books are Still Alice, My Secret Sister, and A Dog's Purpose. I hope you're able to help me out... Um, either on the podcast or by email. Okay, okay. So I picked The Woman Next Door by Yawande Amatoso. And I picked this book because one of the main characters is a white woman and because it takes place in South Africa. So I think it's far enough removed from your mother-in-law's like lived experiences that she won't feel like personally attacked, you know, by this pick. Um, and also... 
Oh, there was a third reason. Oh, the women, the two main characters in this book are in their 80s. And it seems like still Alice and my secret sister, like it seems like your mother-in-law likes a story about a woman who is over 30, you know. Um, And so 80 is like over 30. So I think that that will, (laughs) you know, hit it. Um, So I love this so much. So it's about two women, Hortensia and Marion, and their neighbors. They have a hedge that separates their house. And they also have this like decade-long feud. They like cannot stand each other um they're both very or were before they retired very successful in their careers they live in south africa one of them is black and one of them is white uh and they spend their time basically like torturing each other and it sounds a little bit like grumpy old man but it's not like pranks and you know goofiness it's like for real (laughs) like they go to council meetings for their neighborhood and like make racist comments or make comments about how your husband is dead and it's probably your fault like they are going for each other and always have they've also both become recently widowed so now they have nothing to do except torture their neighbor (laughs) um and then like some unforeseen life events happen in both of their lives that kind of force them together and so they have to find a way to get over their differences and also even not necessarily get over their differences but get over the hostile way that they approach each other and their differences which is not again it's not just like oh she's annoying it's like oh she hates me because i'm black you know and it's not just um it's not just like petty grievances though there are a lot of petty grievances it's like real hurtful things that the two of them have done to and at and around each other for decades so the things that happen in their life are kind of spoilers so i won't get into them but you're really just watching these two women kind of um find ways to see the other person's point of view and to find ways to like not spend the remaining years of their lives however many of those are in this really negative toxic kind of relationship with someone who they can't escape because like they're not going to move right so like i'm stuck with you <laughs> um and so finding finding out if like two women who come from very similar socioeconomic backgrounds but are different in every other way and who have this like deep rooted intense dislike of each other can find a way to become if not friends, then at least not enemies. So it is very, like, I don't know if I would call it heartwarming, but it's really fascinating. It's a very people-driven story wrapped up in, like, history and bigger narratives that are happening in the background and propelling the relationship that these two women have with each other. So that's The Woman Next Door by Yawande Omotoso. I picked a memoir. I was looking at the books you listed for your mother-in-law, and they all seemed very like emotionally intense, like sometimes on the darker side. And so I picked Men We Reaped by Jessamyn Ward, which is an amazing memoir. Uh, In five years, she lost five men in her life to various deaths. Mm. And, you know, some of them involved drugs and one involved suicide and some were just like the bad luck of living in poverty. Mm -hmm. And she is trying to figure out like, because that's a lot of people <laughs> to know who die in their youth, like 20s, maybe 30s at the most, um, to have them all die so young and in such close proximity to each other. She's trying to figure out like what is going on. And what she comes to realize is that it's all situational because of you know racism and economic struggle in the area that they're in. And she she's so she's writing about rural Mississippi and And she's writing about class and she's writing about race and she's really digging into the situations that have like made her who she is and also made these men in her life who they are and how they came to die so young and in such difficult circumstances. And
And it's, it is, it's very emotionally intense. It's really thought provoking. She's an incredible writer. And I think that because she's using herself as sort of the lens to look at this, it lends, I think it's an open door that is maybe easier than some other places to walk through. And hopefully your, your mother-in-law will, will get drawn in by the emotional uh, content of it and, and, you know, be open to understanding this experience. And, and Ward is just such a good writer and has written a bunch of great novels. So if she likes it, like maybe you could put her in that direction and then that's more, you know, uh, specifically black American experience for her to be exposed to. Uh, so again, that's men we reaped by Jasmine Ward. And that's our show. Wahoo. We did it. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, if you would like to leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it. It helps other folks to find the show. And we do love to see the feedback. Thank you to today's sponsors for making our show possible. And you can find us on social media in between shows. Amanda, where are you at? I'm uh, on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me on Twitter as Jen IRL. That's Jen with two N's, IRL. Or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>